All right, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, thank you, Brother Jerry. Appreciate that. I do need that. Mm-mm. Exodus chapter 20. I want to read verse 13. And then I'm going to Exodus 21, verses 12 through 14. Beginning at Exodus 20 and verse 13, the Bible says simply, this is the sixth command in the list. It says, do not murder. Then in Exodus 21, verses 12 through 14, the law says, whoever strikes a person so that he dies must be put to death. But if he did not intend any harm, and yet the Almighty caused it to happen by his hand, I will appoint a place for you where he may flee. If a person willfully acts against his neighbor to murder him by scheming, you must take him from my altar to be put to death. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. We come today to the commandment that deals with the sanctity of human life. How much life is to be protected and treasured and honored. Life is the greatest of all the commandments. You're allowed to break the Sabbath to save someone's life. You are allowed to lie to save someone's life. Nothing comes before life. It's the greatest of all the commands. The old story of the lake with a sign in front that says, Do not swim comes to mind. A child breaks the law and decides to swim in the lake, but he begins to drown, and as he gets out into the deep, he can't swim. And on a walk, you come across the lake and you see the child drowning. Do you obey the law written on the sign, or do you swim out into the deep to save the child? The answer is very easy. You save the child because the child's life matters more than the law of do not swim. We experience how blessed and how treasured life is when someone dies or when someone gets deathly sick and we're afraid that they are going to die. It's not that we don't know it before. It's built in. We know it. It just comes to light in a stronger way when we love someone and they get sick and they have to go to the hospital and we're not sure if they're going to make it. We wonder, are they going to be okay? We sit by their side. We pray with them. We read to them. We see with new eyes that life is precious and it is not to be taken for granted. How many believe that? Life is not to be taken for granted. When King Hezekiah became sick unto death in 2 Kings 20, he was told by the prophet Isaiah, Get your house in order. You are going to die and not live. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to Yahweh. And the Bible says that he wept sorely or wept bitterly. He wept because he didn't want to die. Being faced with bad news like that brings everything to the forefront. Hezekiah's life flashed before his eyes because he realized in a stronger way than ever before that life is sacred and life is to be appreciated. Murder is malicious intent to take a person's life for any reason that Yahweh has not defined to be lawful. The most obvious kind of murder is when we hear or see on the news that someone gunned down a person or someone stabbed a person out of anger or envy, or just in a senseless act of violence. We all know that is wrong. 
Even pagan atheistic society knows that is wrong. And I believe that the reason they know is because they too are created in the image of Yahweh. Whether someone realizes it or not or admits it or not, they are created in the image of Yahweh as a human. People deny the Creator, but in their Yah-given conscience, they get this law, do not murder, right. Why? Because you cannot deny that human life is the most sacred life on the planet. But there are other ways to commit murder. You don't have to shoot someone with a gun. You don't have to stab someone with a knife. You can plan or plot for someone to be murdered and you are complicit in the act of violating this commandment. There was a queen in the Bible named Queen Jezebel and she plotted to kill this man named Naboth. Naboth had this vineyard in 1 Kings 21. We're told that Ahab, Jezebel's husband, coveted Naboth's vineyard. He wanted it for himself. And so Queen Jezebel, in an effort to take this vineyard away from Naboth, she set up two false witnesses, and she knew what the law required, and so she made sure there was two of them, but they were both false. And they accused Naboth of cursing Yahweh and cursing King Ahab. And Naboth was stoned to death. And Jezebel never threw one stone yet she was guilty of murder. And that is because plotting or being in on planning murder is murder. You can hate someone in your heart for no reason, just out of envy or strife or bitterness or jealousy. And it's murder because that is where murder begins, in the heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Yeshua explains in the Sermon on the Mount that this commandment is not just one that forbids taking someone's physical life, but it is a commandment that also forbids hating people. Having hatred in your heart or wishing ill will on a person is murder of the heart. Cursing someone, calling someone a fool or a moron, or an idiot, is murdering them with your tongue. James 3 verses 9 through 10 says that our tongues are a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With them we bless Yahweh, and yet with the same tongue we curse men who are made in Yahweh's image and likeness. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. That verse in James' epistle reminds me of why it is wrong to murder a person. It's not just that you're taking away life, else murder would be something you could do to an animal. But in Scripture, the killing of an animal is never pinned down as murder. Now, I believe that we should respect animal life. I don't believe in hunting for sport. I believe a righteous man cares for the life of an animal. But when we kill an animal for meat... Or when an animal was sacrificed as, let's say, a burnt offering not for meat at all, it was never considered murder. Murder is taking away the life of a human being. And that is because human beings are made in the image and likeness of the Almighty. When you murder a human, you are murdering the image of Yahweh. 
When you curse or slap a human, you are cursing or slapping the image of Yahweh. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 says this, Whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man. For the Almighty made man in his image. Here in Genesis 9 verse 6, we get the concept of capital punishment for murder in this text. Capital punishment is the taking of a murderer's life as punishment for what he or she has done. And capital punishment in the Bible is not classified as murder. Yahweh allows for this. Yahweh sanctions this. Yahweh commands that this be done. Murder is not just a sin. Talking about the taking of a physical life is not just a sin. It is also a crime. And there has to be punishment for crimes in general, and especially for this crime, else crime will run rampant. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon writes that because justice is not executed speedily, therefore it is in the hearts of the children of men to do wickedness or to do evil. The punishment that Yahweh gives for a murderer is death. Why? Because Genesis 9 says, The Almighty made man in His image. So if a man sheds a person's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. When a murderer does his deed, he is murdering the image of Yahweh. Therefore, his punishment is that his life should be taken away. Capital punishment upholds the sanctity of life. It says you can't take an innocent person's life and not suffer severe punishment, the severest of all punishments. You must pay for the crime that you've committed. Now, I believe that neglecting capital punishment, especially in cases of murder, is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. The old Puritan writer Thomas Watson said it nicely. He wrote, quote, A felon having, having committed six murders, the judge may be said to be guilty of five of them because he did not execute the felon for his first offense. End of quote. When we deny capital punishment for a convicted murderer, we are not protecting life. We are spitting on life. It is saying, I don't really care about life. This crime is not that bad. So murder means more than just killing someone with a weapon out of hatred. We are seeing that do not murder includes saving life. Not just saving an individual's life, but saving the life of a community. In regards to capital punishment, some people argue that it's not very merciful. And they're talking about merciful towards the criminal. It may not be quite merciful towards the criminal. But let me tell you that it is awfully merciful towards the community. Because when you put a murderer to death, you can rest assured that that person will never commit murder again. All of this is within the scope of the Sixth Commandment. We're seeing that do not murder includes to cherish life, to take care of people, to help people, to do good to others. Safety first. Don't harbor hatred and bitterness in your heart. Be kind, love, speak gently. All of these concepts are incorporated in one line. Do not murder. Here's another aspect of this commandment. You see someone getting beat up on the side of the road. You are commanded by this law. Do not murder. To step in and help protect someone's life. You see someone in danger. You call the police. You see a woman being raped in an alleyway or wherever. 
you are obligated to do whatever is in your power to stop the crime, to stop the rape. Just walking by a situation like these and doing nothing is considered partaking in the crime. And it is considered as not cherishing and saving someone's life. You may not be the active participant, but you are a participant because you did nothing to stop the crime. In Deuteronomy 22, the law speaks of a woman being raped out in a field. And the law says that this woman cried out, but there was none to save her. The implication is that if the woman cried out and a passerby heard her cry for help, he would have stepped in and done everything in his power to stop her from being raped. Stepping in to help someone who is being harmed is protecting their life. And thus, it is part of obeying the sixth commandment. And you see someone in in trouble, especially if their life is in danger, do everything in your power to protect life. So these are all ways that we commit murder. Murder can be a crime whereby innocent life is physically removed from this earth, but murder can also be in the heart or by the tongue or by plotting or by not protecting or by not helping And I think that if we examine our hearts and our own lives, we will find that while we may not be guilty of committing the crime of murder, we are indeed guilty of the other offshoots that fall within the scope of this commandment. I think that we ought to admit our sin. We ought to ask Yahweh to forgive us for where we have failed Him. We ought to repent of our sin and thank Yahweh for sending His Son to remove our sin. And then we ought, a lot of people miss this part of repentance, but we ought to strive not to practice the same sin, but instead strive to live like the Messiah. You say, Brother Matthew, I don't have that power within me, and that is true. But greater is He that is within you than he that is within the world. In and of yourself, you do not have the power, but with Yahweh's help, you can overcome. Now, I would like to spend the remainder of this sermon discussing the issue of abortion. Abortion is a hot topic in our country at this moment, and it should be a top priority topic at all times. I think that the word abortion is an adequate word explaining the termination of a pregnancy. But the word by itself does take the edge off of what is happening. Because if what is inside of a woman is a human being, then to take the baby's life is not just abortion, but is indeed murder. It is not any different at 10 years old like my son David, or 10 days old, or 10 weeks old. The development of a human being inside the womb is just not as far along at 10 days or 10 weeks. But you know what? Even David at 10 years outside of the womb, he's still developing. He'll get bigger. He'll get taller. He'll change in his appearance as he keeps growing. That doesn't make him a less human at 10 years old. And a baby that is 10 days old or 10 weeks old is not less human because he or she is less developed. They're growing just like David. They will grow into a more developed human, but they are still a human inside the womb. They're just less developed. 
Scripturally speaking, when a woman becomes pregnant, what is inside of her is a living, breathing human being. It is not potential life. It is life. It is not anything less than a person. Let me give you some Scriptures. In Genesis 25, the Bible says that Isaac, Abraham's son, prayed to Yahweh on behalf of his barren wife who could not have any children. And Yahweh heard his prayer and Rebekah conceived. And the text tells us that the children inside her struggled with each other. And then Yahweh told her, two nations are in your womb and two people will come from you. Being inside a mother's womb does not mean you are not a person. Your location does not negate your personhood. The book of Exodus, chapter 21, verses 22 through 23, it says this, When men get in a fight and hit a pregnant woman so that her children are born prematurely, but there is no injury, the one who hit her must be fined as the woman's husband demands from him. And he must pay according to the judicial assessment. If there is injury, then you must give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, and wound for wound. This law in the Torah shows us that what is inside of a woman is called a child and is able to be injured. An unborn baby is life. He or she develops a tiny little nose and tiny little fingers and toes, and they wiggle around inside of the womb. And when a woman goes to get her first ultrasound, and the text shows that little baby up on the screen moving around, the mother gets excited, and she often cries tears of joy because she knows that what is inside of her is not potential life, but it's life. It's her child. No matter how far along developed the child is, that's her child, a little boy or a little girl. Listen to Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. The psalmist writes, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Those verses are not difficult to understand. I believe that every person, Christian, non-Christian, theist and atheist, knows what takes place inside of a mother's womb. Some have just deceived themselves into thinking that if it is legal, it is okay to do. Brothers and sisters, everything that is legal is not lawful. There have been many unjust things pronounced legal in history. In recent history, we've had homosexual marriage pronounced as legal. But that does not mean that it is lawful. In past history in our nation, enslavement and abuse of black people was legal. But that doesn't mean that it is lawful. Abortion is legal now in some states up to the day of birth, but that doesn't mean that it is lawful. I honestly do not believe that anyone thinks what happens inside of a woman's womb is not human life 
I think that everyone, even the most staunch abortion proponent, knows that what is growing inside of a woman is a human being. My reason for thinking this is not difficult to see. Because when anyone tries to get pregnant and gets excited when the pregnancy test shows up positive, what are they excited about? What does an atheist family, what does an atheist actress or singer who gets pregnant and poses as pregnant for a magazine, what does she get excited about? A clump of sales? Something that is not life? Something that does not matter? The way the abortion argument is framed ends up with this way of thinking. If you want the baby, it's a baby. If you don't want what's growing inside of you, it's not a baby. They leave it up to the choice of the woman. Does anyone really believe that the choice of an adult woman decides whether what is growing inside of her is a baby or not? No one believes that. People just suppress knowledge. They deny what they know deep down inside to be true. Well, if you're against abortion, then you need to be helping mothers with babies. And you need to be adopting unwanted children. Okay? I agree with that. How does that argument go in favor of abortion? Because you often hear people that are in favor of abortion state that. Oh, you pro-life people are just pro-life inside of the womb, but not outside of the womb. That may be the case in some cases, in some situations. I agree. No one person or one family can help everybody. I told my wife the other day, I wished I could help all the poor people. I wished I could help all the little orphans, but you can't. But we can all do our part. In our communities, we can help struggling families. We can help single mothers financially. We can watch babies. We can welcome them into the church. Did you know that Christians are actually the greatest percentage of people who adopt? Twice the number of Christians in the United States choose to adopt when compared to the number of all other people. So the answer to such a statement about being pro-life outside the womb, the answer should be to be pro-life outside the womb and not to start being anti-life inside the womb. Well, it's my body. I can do with my body what I want to do with my body. No, it is not. You are created. You belong to your Creator your Creator gave you your body. He formed your body. And you may only do with your body what He allows you to do. After all, the argument that it's your body so you can do with it what you want ultimately leads to an acceptance of both suicide and euthanasia. Someone wants to take their own life. No big deal. That's okay. And it's also okay to assist someone else who wants to die in taking their own life. Is this the road that we want to go down? Do we really want to start playing Yahweh? But what's inside of me is dependent upon me. You've got to understand that. Therefore, I decide whether it lives or not because it depends on me. Is that how we normally treat things that are dependent upon us? My grandson, Bowen, is dependent upon his mama to live. 
And he's almost eight months outside the womb. If she stopped taking care of him and left him in an abandoned field, he would die. Does the fact that he is dependent upon her now mean his life doesn't matter? Do we normally treat people or even animals that are dependent upon us? Do we treat them with neglect? Or do we treat them with care? We care for them. When someone depends upon us, we give them extra care. We go above and beyond to help them and to protect them. And if what is inside of a woman depends upon the woman for life, that should be an argument in favor of doing everything possible to take care of that little bitty human being. What about finding out there's something wrong with the baby inside of the womb? Women in my own family have been told by doctors that something could be wrong with their baby or that something was wrong with their baby. Now, I don't want to make light of this because it is devastating at any stage of a child's life for the mother and, and father to find out that their child may be sick or disabled or have special needs when they are born. And the reason it's devastating is because we want our children to have the best life possible. We don't want our children to suffer in any way. But let me ask you this. Why would we not want to give a special needs child life? They're just a little bitty baby. They have different color eyes, different fingers. Why would we not want to give them life if they can't talk or they can't see or they can't hear? They may have to be pushed around in a wheelchair and some may not be able to stand. But some of the most special moments that I've ever seen is when parents with special needs children care for their children. I will never forget the time that I saw a daddy lift his two special needs daughters from a van into wheelchairs and he pushed them into the movie theater to enjoy a movie with their dad. You think that daddy doesn't want his girls? Special needs people are people. And they are special people. Oftentimes, special needs people are vastly more appreciative of life than someone who is entirely healthy. And they deserve a shot at life too. And we shouldn't be the ones to decide to take that away from them. What if a mother's life is in danger? This is an argument you hear a lot from the pro-abortion side as though it's the main reason that they want abortion to be legal. Did you know, and you don't have to take Brother Matthew's word for this, we have information available at our, at our fingertips nowadays, but did you know that cases of the mother's life being in danger are less less than 1% of abortions? This is not the primary reason behind the legality of abortion in our nation or in other nations on the earth. Now that being said, there are some extreme cases where the difficult choice must be made between the life of the mother and the life of the baby. And I realize there have been people that have had to make such a decision. And such a decision would be so awfully hard to make. If Tisha and I had been faced with that decision, it would have been done in the midst of sorrow and weeping and utter devastation. And I don't know what we would have done. Knowing my wife like I do, 
I think she probably would have said, if it comes to it, let me die and let the baby live. But then I would have stood there and said, but I love my wife. That would be so difficult. So I'm not making light of that. I understand in extreme cases, things like this happen. And I hurt for any mother and father that has had to go through that. I do not treat it trivially. And if anyone that is listening to this sermon has gone through that, I am terribly sorry for any loss that you've had, whether it was the mama or the baby. But brothers and sisters, wake up. This is not the primary concern for lawmakers that are pro-abortion. We recently had a pro-abortion bill passed in the state of New York that allows for a mother to abort her baby up to the time of birth. And when it passed, there were cheers and there were claps and there were smiles. That's disgusting. That's nauseating. Yahweh hates that bill. Had such a bill been passed with sorrow and with weeping for extreme cases, then I might believe that such lawmakers were genuinely concerned with the unborn life or with the life of the mother. But such is not the case. As I close today, let me say something to the women who have had an abortion in the past. Whether you're sitting in here, I don't know everybody that close. Whether you're listening by way of Facebook or later if you're listening to this sermon 10 years from now. To the women that have had an abortion in the past and now regret it, I've listened to testimonies. I've watched testimonies. You've prayed over and over for forgiveness. You wish that you had made a different decision and you long to hug your child in your arms now. You long to be able to teach your child to say mommy and daddy. You wished you could sing to your child. You wished you could hear your child laugh. To those mothers, you are forgiven for your sin. The blood of Messiah cleanses you from this sin. Yahweh sent Yeshua so that we could be forgiven of this sin and of many other heinous sins against His law. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That if we confess our sin and if we repent of our sin, the blood of the Son of Yahweh cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know that it's hard because in spite of me trying to reassure you about the gospel and about your forgiveness in Messiah, there are some days, moms, that have done this, dads, that have okayed this, there are some days that you do not feel forgiven. Now I know this because it happens to me. I know that I've been forgiven of my sins. But some days I just do not feel like I'm forgiven. The weight of my past sins in my conscience haunt me. I don't feel like getting out of bed sometimes. I don't like to go to work sometimes. I just feel like laying there and crying all day long because I hurt my Creator and I hurt my neighbor. And I want to do over. I don't want to do over. It's just something that I deal with. 
So I know how it feels to feel unforgiven. So I preach the gospel to myself. Just like I preach it to you. We are far away from Yahweh, but through the blood of Messiah we are brought near. (laughs) Ephesians 2. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. He has not repaid us according to our offenses. Psalm 103. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgives us because His perfect Lamb paid the penalty for our sins, was resurrected from death, and went to heaven as our faithful, sinless high priest. I'm not saying that your hard days will ever end. I have stretches of time, sometimes months, that I'm good, but then another hard day comes. I'm not saying some kind of magic words is going to make everything stop. I'm just saying that when those hard days come and you don't feel forgiven, know that your salvation is not dependent upon how you feel, but rather upon what Yahweh the Savior has done for you in and through His Son. Salvation is not a feeling. It is a reality in spite of a bad feeling. So to these mothers or fathers... If you have confessed your sin and you've repented of your sin, you are forgiven of your sin. I say that as a minister of the gospel. I love you. And most importantly, Almighty Yahweh loves you too. The sixth commandment says, do not murder. May we all take it to heart. Let's stand and close in prayer. Almighty Yahweh, forgive us of our murders. Forgive us of our wicked tongues and our mean thoughts and the hatred and the bitterness in our hearts. Forgive us for not valuing life as most sacred. And may we be stronger than ever to protect life, both inside and outside of the womb. May we show forth kindness and speak life with our words. May we use our mouths to heal instead of kill, and use our actions to help instead of hinder. Thank You for putting the good desires inside of us. Thank You for saving us from our sins. Help us to believe that fully. I pray these things to You through Your Son. Amen.